0: Welcome to the Evident Church Podcast. It's our hope that through this message, you'll gain a greater understanding of God's relationship with you and further your life's journey in faith. Uh, We're going going to go ahead and just pray together and ask God to be with us in these next few minutes. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this place to be able to gather and God, I thank you for um, the hope that we have. And I just pray that you will uh, speak through me and speak to each heart that's here in the room. And I pray that you'll be honored today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are starting a brand new series today called Love Rules. And if you've ever seen Billy Madison and the, the guy that says O'Doyle oh, rules, uh, it is not like that. But In some ways, it is. Our theme for the year has been For the Love. And the idea is that God wants us as his followers to be known for our love. But that's not the script that most people get when they interact with Christians. So we're asking the questions you know, what does God need to transform in us? How does God want to change us? And we're going to actually spend a good chunk of time the next few weeks looking through um, something in the Bible that I would call God's original love rules, uh, but you would know them as the Ten Commandments. Now, as soon as I say Ten Commandments, you know, there's lots of mixed feelings about that. They could be old-fashioned. They could be irrelevant. Um, they could, you could have mixed emotions about that. But what I want you to know is that what these really are is God's way to describe for us how to love Him and how to love other people. If you were to look at the Ten Commandments, I'm not going to quiz anybody, uh, because I think if I were to say, okay, how many of you would acknowledge that the Ten Commandments are important, most of you would raise your hand, not not everybody, but then if I were to ask you if you could tell them to me, you'd start having like cold sweats, all right? Uh, But what we're going to do, though, is look, if you look at the first four of the Ten Commandments, they have to do with our relationship with God. Here is how we love God, and then the last six have to do with how we love other people. So these are what we're going to be looking through the next couple of weeks. I want to start this way. Um, In 1992, uh, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. How many of you have heard of that book, The Five Love Languages? All right, so his theory, his idea is that people give and receive love, and they express love differently. So the five love languages are quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, Gift-giving, and what's the last one? Physical touch. touch. Yeah, physical touch. So real quickly, I don't know how many of you know, but how many of you would say that your primary way to give and receive love is through uh, quality time? How many of you, you're a quality time kind of person? All right? So these are the people that when you spend time with them, that's what matters to them. How many of you are gift-giving kind of people? (laughs) <laughs> and they, yeah and i'm proud about it right are you the only one in, okay a couple more yeah gift giving either you love giving other people gifts or when someone gives you a gift that communicates to you that they love you gift giving um how many of you words of affirmation you appreciate words of affirmation you love to tell people affirming things and you love that's for me that's that's mine words of affirmation so if you want to express love to me uh thank you yeah thank you yeah we have to work on timing, but I appreciate that. <laughs> so words of affirmation, uh, acts of service. How many of you are acts of service kind of people? You love to do things for people. You love it when they do things for you. Acts of service. My wife, her primary love language is acts of service. And then lastly, physical touch. How many of you are physical touch kind of people? It doesn't mean sexual. It doesn't have to mean that, but all right, yeah. Hugs and high fives, and I see some physical touch. I, I have made the mistake of hugging people who are not physical touch kind of people, and uh, I'm sure we've all probably done that before. So my wife, her primary way of uh, receiving and giving love is acts of service. She loves to do things for people. She loves it when I do things for her. And I learned early on in our marriage that there's two things that she really appreciates. She really appreciates uh, like letters or notes from me, like handwritten things. have so taken the time to do something like that. But she also really appreciates foot rubs from me. Now, if you know anything about me and feet. Uh, I'm not a feet person at all. So 17 years into marriage, uh, the fact that when she asked me to rub her feet, uh, the Holy Spirit is working in me over time. And my, my first answer out of my mouth thank by God's grace is, yes, I would love to rub your feet. And every once in a while, I'll even offer to rub her feet. Um, but how many of you know that if I said, yes, Ray Lynn, I love you, but the way that I'm going to express my love to you is by going out with the guys? How would that work? Would that work very well? No, she's saying, Josh, I want you to express love to me this way, and that is something I should pick up on, I should learn from. And what we're going to talk about today in the beginning part of this series is how do we love God? And I'm actually going to have us ask the question, what is God's love language? What are some love languages of God? Um, and we're going to look at a couple things that came to my mind as we talked about that. But um, here's where we're going to start. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we might look at the Old Testament of the Bible. We might look at the Ten Commandments as old and outdated and old-fashioned, But I believe that Jesus is saying, as we look at Jesus' life, he's the fulfillment of those. So the old is a shadow, but Jesus is the embodiment. And we can look at what God's heart is as we look at these together. Um, How many of you would also acknowledge and say that our culture struggles when it comes to knowing how to love? Um, That we live in a culture that lacks I guess what I'm wrestling with these days as I look at the world around me is I'm wrestling with the lack of foundation that I see in in our lives and in our culture around us. And what I see it tied to is we keep telling generation after generation that there is no foundation, that there are no absolutes, and it's no wonder then in my mind that it feels like our lives have no, no, no bottom to them. You guys ever felt that way before? Like sometimes, like maybe something happens in your life and the bottom just feels like it goes completely out. Um, I was, one of the things I do to, to burn off some energy these days is I, I mountain bike and uh, I was riding a, a place that had a wooden path and it had just rained and I was riding around the corner and I had just left the parking lot and I was riding around the corner and all of a sudden both wheels just went whoop, completely out. I landed so hard on my hip and my side my first reaction was to look back at the parking lot to see if anybody saw me. <laughs> and then I checked myself, and then I checked my bike. But sometimes life just feels that way. It's just like, man, the foundation is gone. And what's been on my heart lately is just to go back and say, what is our foundation? You know, what is the foundation? And I believe with my whole heart that Jesus is our foundation, that our hope in him is our foundation. Jesus said this in Matthew 22. There were some people asking Jesus what the most important thing in life basically was. And one of them, who was an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And one of the things that I struggle with is if if we were wired to love and love each other, why is it so confusing and why is it so hard? Right? Does that make sense? If this is how God has made us, and I believe that that part of it is just we have to look to God to teach us how to love. And so we're going to look at the very first of the Ten Commandments and I hope that we'll see these more as love rules. These are not about salvation. Uh, You don't keep the Ten Commandments to be saved. Our salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, right? But we look at these because I think God is giving us some direction saying, if you want to know how to love me better, if you want to know how to love other people better, here's some guidance on how to do that. You guys following with that so far? So we're going to read from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3 says, and God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So what I put as the big idea for today is this, is that when I put God first, everything else falls into place. It kind of reminds me of the, the game Jenga. Um, You build a tower out of wooden blocks, and the key to anything like that is to have a firm foundation, right? And I believe that when we put God as the foundation of our lives, storms will come, but we have that foundation to build upon. You might say you have marriage issues, or you have financial issues, or you have health issues, or whatever it is, but I believe that when we put God first, everything else falls into place. So what I want to do just for the next few minutes is look at what I would call three love languages of God. How do we love God? And so here's the first thing that I believe that number 1 we love God by trusting him. That there are times in our lives when our faith is challenged cha- challenged <laughs> challenged and tested. But we can say, God, I don't understand and I don't like it, but I trust you anyway. Um, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do as a parent, and the daughter I'm going to talk about is in this service. So, um, part of what a pastor has to do is save up money for counseling for later on for their kids. But uh, Ava Ray, when she was probably three or four years old, I've told this story. If you've been a part of Evident before. But uh, we were woken up in the middle of the night with this cur- gut-curling scream and cry. And it's not the kind of cry that's like, uh, I, need a, I need a drink. It's like the kind of cry, like, I'm in trouble kind of cry. And what had happened was she had rolled out of her bed, and she had hit her face, her cheek, on her nightstand, and she was bleeding. She had uh, a puncture in the side of her cheek from the nightstand. It was probably 3 in the morning um, on a Sunday morning. And so I, I scooped her up, and we tried to assess what was going on took her to the ER and they had to numb that spot uh, with a needle and then they had to uh, tie her down to a a buddy board or a bunkie board, I'm not sure the name of it, uh, strap her down and then they isolated that spot. They put a sheet over her face, isolated that spot and they wanted me to help hold her down and this was the hardest thing I've ever had to do as a parent and I could see her little eye poking out like looking out through the little hole at me and eyes full of fear and eyes full of terror, and all I could do was hold her and just encourage her to trust me. And I believe that's one of the most important things we can learn to do, even when we don't understand, is just say, God, I trust you. Here's some things we can trust. We can trust God's character, that he is who he says he is, and he will be who he says he will be. We can trust God's intentions and God's purpose, that God has a plan beyond what we see right now. We can trust God's sovereignty, that he's in control. We can trust God's word. We can trust his love for us. Um, I heard this quote this past week. I wish I would know the author, but I wasn't able to track down the author. But um, they said that a faith that's wrestled with is a faith that's owned. You will struggle. Your faith will be challenged, and that is okay because wrestling with your faith causes you to own your faith. We can trust God. A few verses, uh, Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 says that the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble, and he cares for those who trust in him. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God the Lord Himself is the rock and the eternal. He's the foundation. So, what hard things are you going through right now? You need to trust Him in. And a question I'm always challenged with is will you love Him, God, even if He doesn't give you what you want or think that you need? Will you trust Him and believe that He is enough? I believe that when we trust God, that communicates love for God. The second love language I would say. Um, is this, that we love God by making him most important. Making him most important. For some reason, the imagery that comes to my mind is the Lion King. When uh, the dad lion lifts up the little baby lion, and for some reason, that just shows like, like importance and prominence. But when we are able to declare, God, you are most important in my life, that communicates to God our love for him. The challenge is not making God one important thing in our life, but making him most important. So I try to put myself in your shoes, and I try to be... Anyway, so the question that might come to mind is, to, if I, I, okay, I want to make God most important, does that mean that I have to become a pastor or a priest or a nun? Yes. It does. All of you have to. Yeah. No, it obviously doesn't mean that, right? In order to make God most important... It means that we orient our lives around him. Um, in the 15, up until the 1500s, the belief about the world was that the earth was the center of the universe, right? It's called the geocentric model of the solar system. A guy came along in the 1500s by the name of Nicholas Copernicus. And uh, what a name, right? Nicholas Copernicus. And he started to, to say, hey, things don't match up exactly the way that I think they should. If the earth is the center, so he proposed a new theory. You guys know what that was? The heliocentric view of the solar system, right? That the sun is the center of the universe. And what, I, what I'm saying is that at some point in our lives, we begin to realize that we are not the center of the universe. We're not the center of our own world. But to make God most important means that we orient our lives and make him the center and our lives revolve around him, we realize at some point that God is not here to serve us, but that we are here to serve him. It's kind of like getting your tires balanced on your car. Um, I took my, my car and to get the tires balanced, and one of the tires wasn't, wasn't balanced, so it was wobbly. So they put weights on it to, to even it out and to balance it. When we try to live our lives with us in the center and God on the outside revolving around us, It gets kind of wobbly because God's kind of heavy, right? It doesn't work real well. But when God is the center and our lives revolve around his purposes for our lives, and we're always asking God the question, God, what do you want to do with my career? God, what do you want to do with my finances and my relationships? Then that makes all the difference in the world. Um, I would say the easiest way to gauge or measure if God is most important in your life, is by looking at how you use your time, how you use your treasure, meaning your finances, and how you use your talent. That'll give you a pretty good indication. Honestly, if God is not most important, then God is not truly God in your life. Now, the third love language I would say is this, is we love God by obeying Him. Now, I didn't want to preach this because this is not, um, how do I say this? This is not one of those pick-me-up kind of like, yay, I'm, I want to, I'm going to obey God. Like, I'm so excited about it. Because um, a lot of people who aren't followers of Jesus go, why would you want to be a Christian when God has all these restrictive rules? You know, you can't do all these things. But a person who follows Jesus knows that it's not about that, that God gives us guidelines and God gives us rules so that we can stay free, so that we don't live in bondage, because he loves us. So we love God. One of the ways we love God is by obeying him. So 1 John 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, what does it say? All right, we're going to back up. All right. You guys need to help me a little bit. It says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments. What does it say? And his commandments are not burdensome. Um, Let me give you an illustration. Anybody who doesn't live with a financial budget, one of the reasons they don't probably is because they say a budget is restrictive. If I had a financial budget, it's so confining, I don't wanna live that way. Anybody ever expressed that or felt that way before? But if you actually live with a budget, it's not constricting, it's actually very freeing. When my wife and I go out on a date and we've budgeted money to go out on a date, we can go out on a date and we can spend money on a date and we don't have to worry, like, can we afford this? Can we do this? Does that make sense? It's actually very freeing to live within boundaries. And God gives us a set of guidelines not to restrict us, but to allow us to live free lives. So the commands of God are not burdensome. They set us free. They give us freedom. I came across this quote this week. It says that Jesus' death paid for all of the consequences for our sin. Therefore, we are now free to follow God's commands out of love, not obligation or fear of punishment. We're no longer under the law to gain our righteousness from it. The law is now in our hearts as a part of us, Because we love God and want to obey him. So our obedience to God is not out of obligation, but out of love. We love God and we trust that God loves us and that he has our good in mind. We believe that obeying God's commands will lead us to greener pastures and to greater places. John 15, 9 through 11, Jesus said, I've loved you even as you've loved the Father and the Father's loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in his love. Then he tells him why. He said, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, God doesn't want us to obey him because we're afraid of him. He wants us to obey him because we love him, because he loves us. Sometimes my wife and I, uh, we're kind of late to the party when it comes to uh, watching movies. So if it's on Redbox, we might see it, uh, maybe not. But we just saw Aladdin, um, the new live-action movie, Aladdin. And as a preacher, I'm always watching movies with uh, preaching in mind. Like, my wife probably hates it, but I'm always, like, jotting things down, like, oh, I could use this, I could... Anyway, it's, it's, it's not very fun. I'm not very fun to be around sometimes, probably. I was watching that and there's a scene in there where um, Aladdin has the, the lamp and he's having a conversation with the genie, Will Smith as the genie. And they're under the tent, he hasn't made any wishes yet, and the genie's explaining to Aladdin how it works. And the one thing that I thought was so fascinating is that the genie explains his greatest desire is to be what? What does the genie want? The genie wants to be free, but he can't because he's, he's, he's a slave to the lamp, and to whoever makes the wishes, and I'm just like, man, he wants to be free, but he can't set himself free, and what ends up happening is that Aladdin becomes kind of the Christ figure, because Aladdin uses his last wish to set the genie free, you guys tracking with this so far, and I'm like, man, this will preach, this will work, this is the gospel, (laughs) right, that if we truly understood that our sin keeps us in slavery and bondage, right, right, that we are not free until we put our faith and trust in Christ and we are set free by what he's done for us. Yes, tracking with that so far? So what God does is the, the, the commands he gives to us are not um, to put us into bondage, but to allow us to stay free. Look at the, be- the beginning of what we read in Exodus chapter 20. It says, and God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you, what? Who brought you out of Egypt, out of Egypt a land of slavery. So for 400 years, the people of God were slaves to the Egyptians. They couldn't rescue and save themselves. They cried out to God. God saves them and sets them free. And now he then, then gives them the, what we call the Ten Commandments, They're known as the, the Decalogue or the Ten Words. But then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. What he's doing is saying, I'm not giving you these things to keep you in bondage, but to, to keep you free. Kevin DeYoung, who wrote a book called the Ten, or on the Ten Commandments, said this, The Ten Commandments are not instructions on how to get out of Egypt. They're rules for a free people to stay free. What God is saying is that if you want to keep your life on track, make me the center of your life and your life will stay on track. Trust me no matter what you're going through and I will be with you. I will be your God and you you will be set free. So God doesn't give us rules to keep us in bondage, but he gives us rules so that we can stay free. So I'm going to have the band come up at this point, and um, I want to just ask a, a simple, I have you do something very simple. Um, I'm not, like I said, I, I'm not always very culturally aware, um, partially by choice, all right? And I'm okay with that. But uh, it does get embarrassing sometimes, Um, I had to ask somebody a while ago what an acronym meant. They were were in a dating relationship, and they were ready to break it off, and they said they had to have what they called a DTR with the person that they were dating. Anybody know what that stands for, a DTR? I didn't know what it stood for either. I was like, well, what is a DTR? And they said it's a define-the-relationship conversation. Yeah, yeah, so they were going to go have a define-the-relationship conversation conversation with somebody. Um, And every once in a while, um, God brings me back to a place in my relationship with him uh, that I feel like it's basically a DTR with with God, (laughs) where God is just kind of saying, okay, Josh, what is this? What is this relationship? Who am I to you? Um, And who are you in this relationship? And what I love, and I just want to encourage us with this, is that it is about a relationship with God. It is not about rules. It is not about checking off boxes. And for some reason, I can get really caught up in checking off boxes. God, I went to church for you again today. I hope you're happy. God, I served you again today. I hope you're happy. Right? And it's not about transactions. Anytime a relationship becomes transactional, it's not a relationship in that way. And I think what I I love and what I'm learning is that my relationship with God is dynamic, which means it changes. And sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes I'm on the mountaintop. And other times I'm in the gutter. And sometimes I'm serving God with my whole heart. Other times my heart is not in it. But God is gracious. And it's a relationship that ebbs and flows and I'm I'm just learning more that God is okay with it being a relationship that ebbs and flows. Right? I beat myself up saying, "God, I'm I you know, I messed up again or I'm not loving you. I'm not, whatever it is." And God's like, "That's okay. We're going to learn from this. We're going to grow from this. It's going to ebb and flow. There's there's peaks and there's valleys." And that is completely okay. So, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you're in a valley. I don't know if you're on the mountaintop but I just want to encourage you I guess to lean into this relationship with God because I know that God loves you I know that God has a plan for your life and I know and believe that he is good so would you guys go ahead and stand with me and pray together take a minute to be quiet before God as as you can as, as best you can and i don't know if you would acknowledge this morning that maybe other things have become more important in your life i don't know i don't know where you are i don't know if you'd acknowledge and even just in your heart crying out to God saying god i need you God, I thank you that that you are a good God. I thank you that you are the God who brings us out of a land of slavery. God, I I believe that sin is slavery. I believe that fear is is bondage. God, I believe you've come to set us free. You've come to give us joy. Please teach us more what that means. And God, I just pray that you uh, will speak and work in, in hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you found this message personally meaningful. For more information on Evident Church, be sure to visit us online at evidentchurch.com.